This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. The questions around the development of AI has a variety of different important components uh, of governance that need to be addressed. The regulatory side will be ultra important to make sure that we can benefit from the best and not be impacted significantly from the worst. Miriam Vogel is CEO of Equal AI. She spoke uh, earlier this week at a conference here at the Wharton School about the governance side of AI, and she has uh, joined us uh, to talk a little bit about what she discussed in that conference. Uh, Miriam, a pleasure to have you with us. Thanks for your time today. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me. Suffice it to say that governance around AI is is maybe the most important component that needs to be addressed, especially with some of the uh, the digital scares that we have had in other areas over the last few years? Absolutely. Governance is key. We have AI that is transforming our lives and our businesses and our health opportunities and outcomes, but we need to make sure that these are systems we can trust and we need to have systems in place to help build that trust and, and establish whether that trust is warranted. Are you believing that we would be able to get to that point? Because, I, I mean, it's a process to be able to get there. And, and certainly it feels right now that there are a lot of bumps in the road uh, that might uh, you know, divert us from uh, getting to that point. Well, I'm not going to pretend that it's simple. This is certainly complicated. And there are elements here that are new and transformative. Uh, that said, We've dealt with innovation before. I think that, you know, coming from the conversation you just had on cyber is a great lead-in because, you know, 15, 20 years ago, cyber privacy experts were warning us this was a problem every company, every organization needed to think about, and too many didn't until it was too late. And time came when they realized they did not have a security system in place, and, and they paid the price. So now is the time when companies can plan, they can realize, first and foremost, you may not know, but you are an AI company. You are now using AI in pivotal ways, whether it's in financial determinations, most certainly in your HR and employee determinations and systems. And so you need to have a plan in place. And so we can take lessons from cyber, from other innovations. You know, we don't all know how to to build a car, but we know how to ensure that they're safe and, and build trust in them. You use the term responsible AI uh, as a key component here and, and thinking about this really in many cases from an ethical perspective, do you not? I do. We use the term responsible AI uh, because that's what the public deserves. We deserve for companies to act responsibly. And now, ethics is another really important piece of that, but it's very complicated because ethics will be dependent on various different uses, different cultures, and, and have many uh, variables that are beyond uh, what we're talking about right here. So that is a higher level of expectation that should be considered for sure. But at a minimum, the baseline, we need to expect that AI systems are governed by a responsible framework, meaning uh, we know that they are, are going to serve us. We understand what use cases were they built for, for whom mm -hmm. is this intended, and for whom could this fail. Are we on a path to get there 
right now because, as you said, there's a there's a business side to this, but there is also the culture and societal side uh, of how AI is going to have an impact as well. You know, I am encouraged. I've been doing this work for almost five years now in the responsible AI field, and we've come a long way. Uh, you know, D.C. is not always known for having tech savvy, but I do a lot of work with uh, the executive branch on the Hill. We're seeing an emergence of leaders who understand that we didn't always meet the mark in, in past uh, iterations of tech. You know, people didn't quite understand how the Internet was going to change uh, business. We didn't necessarily deliver on the privacy needs uh, that our consumers and our, our broader public need. Uh, but I think that we've learned from those lessons, and, and you can look at uh, on the Hill. We've heard Senator Schumer talk about the the guardrails, the, pri- the, the bills that he's uh, working on in the AI space, and we've heard across the executive branch leaders step up and say, you know, we understand that this is within our purview, and we plan to be continuing to look at this, whether it was the historic first joint statement between the Department of Justice and the, equal, mm-hmm. e- the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission last summer talking about how civil rights apply when using AI in your employee HR functions and specifically mindful of the Americans with Disability Act. They had another joint historic statement with other executive branch agencies uh, in the last month. We saw a historic uh, meeting yesterday at the White House with leaders in the AI space. So I do think that the right people are weighing in and making sure that we do have guardrails in place. But but how do you best kind of put the framework in place so that you can have AI systems that, you know, really do bring the best ethical considerations forward? That's a great question. And I think, you know, the point is, we have all these different business leaders and thought leaders weighing in. But most importantly, what you bring up is it's about each of us within our organization making sure that we're doing this properly. Because at the end of the day, you can regulate all you want. These are AI systems within really our purview at the end of the day. And we need to make sure that we need uh, that we, we're meeting the, the needs of, of what it means to be a responsible AI uh, user and deployer. So at Equal AI, we like to talk about having good AI hygiene, and that's really five things. So if you're using AI in a pivotal way in your HR systems, financial determination, certainly in health and, and other important fields where you're touching people in the deployment or development anywhere on the pipeline of, of AI, systems use, uh, you need to have these five things in place, and and that's a framework. You need to think about uh, what your process is, what framework you're going to use to monitor your AI systems. Uh, Luckily, we're now in a place where there are several good models out there. Different tech companies have theirs posted online. We have a basic framework on EqualAI.org. We interview people on our podcast. In AI We Trust, where you can hear from different companies and leaders as to how they're thinking about frameworks. And we recently had the NIST uh, framework, the AI Risk Management Framework, released by the National Institute of Standards and Technology that gives a very comprehensive overview as to what an organization needs to do from nuts to bolts, from conceiving of the idea uh, all the way through repeated testing throughout its deployment. So that's first. Second, you have to make sure there's accountability in your company. Who, at the end of the day, is going to take responsibility for challenges that will come up in AI use because they will happen, and you need somebody who is ready and who people know who to talk to in that incident. 
You need to standardize your practices. You can't make it up as you go along. You need everyone along the system cycle knowing what the process is and, and who is responsible for which piece of it. You need to document what you've tested and when and make sure you're doing it in an explainable way because AI will pass through many different hands and geographical boundaries. And you want to make sure that when you're documenting who you've tested for, what kinds of use cases, who is over and underpopulated in the training of your data, that that's been documented in a clear way so that others down the road will understand what you've documented. Uh, and then you need to repeatedly audit. You know, AI continues to iterate, and so your your testing needs to follow suit. So one of the things you brought up, I, I had a question written down, and I think you kind of answered it, but I'll ask it anyway. So then the frameworks that you talked about a, a moment ago, will there be some variation from business to business or, and sector to sector, or will they be fairly similar, uh, at, you know, kind of across the board, do you think? That's a great question, Dan. I think on the top line, what I just talked about with with good AI hygiene, that's across the board. That is industry sector agnostic. That is law regime agnostic. And likewise, we have frameworks out there like the NIST risk management framework, which is intended to be used in businesses large and small across verticals and legal jurisdictions. Uh, but But then when you go into the the details when you're building the processes, for sure that will look different depending on the sensitivity, the risk of the use. Uh, we can look at other ways that, the, that these laws are being structured. For instance, in the EU, they've released an early draft of what they're thinking about for AI regulations. They distinguish different level of regulation based on different level of risks. So certain AI are absolutely precluded from use. Others will be heavily regulated. And, and those are functions that are deemed high risk, like employment use, infrastructure, education. Many of us use AI in those ways and can expect that if we're doing business in the EU in the not so distant future, we're going to need to be mindful of, of those regulations. So there will be differences depending on your use case and depending on which sector, but at the top level, those five main steps will be important no matter what industry you're in. Okay, so since you kind of put this in the framework of the global perspective, does there then need to be some sort of uh, of global framework in place from a regulatory side between the EU and, and, and the United States and Australia and, and other parts of the world to basically get everyone on the same page? That's a really good point, Dan, another one that you're making. And, you know, we're talking about a technology that does not have any boundaries. At the same time, right. it's being used, the same system is being used by people and organizations across the globe at the same instant. So you're right. Uh, we are at a time when we really need to think about meeting the technology where it is, and that means everywhere. So, again, the good news is, when I say there's good news, it doesn't mean these things are solved, but, but the right people are having these conversations. So there's many multilateral conversations underway. There's a new division at the State Department in the U.S., that a new uh, tech envoy uh, that is, is leading on these discussions. Again, the NIST uh, organization I mentioned is having international conversations. So we are part of, of treaties that are currently in place, the Trade and Technology Council, as well as multilateral considerations underway to try and bridge those borders and make compliance and, and good actor AI use understandable and translatable. 
Well, and I ask that because, you know, you talk about boundaries. Uh, you know, there are many instances, many cases out there that boundaries or guardrails, if you want to use that term as well, uh, they can be beneficial by what they prevent, not that they're preventing business or uh, growth or, uh, you know, expansion of opportunity, but they are just, you know, kind of keeping us on the track that at least in the early going, we probably need to go on as we're, you know, bringing all of this forward in the years ahead. Absolutely. I, I will tell you at Equal AI, we are AI net positive. We think that AI is part of the solution to help create more opportunity, whether it's economic, whether it's finding a way for more uh, disabled persons to have opportunity to participate meaningfully in their communities and the workforce, education, making sure that it's more available at a higher level to a broader cross-section, making sure that underserved populations are well-served or better served. It requires us to be very intentional because if we are not careful, we create a greater economic gap. We create broader economic and opportunity divides. But if we are intentional and thoughtful at this moment, we have a very different trajectory where we create more opportunity, greater prosperity for more communities. Mm -hmm. Even with all of the conversation that has gone on now and, and the kind of the large scale thought process of how AI is going to be a part of our lives moving forward, it still feels a little bit like and I'm you know, this is my perception from the outside looking in that we're still pretty much very much in a, you know, we're not thinking even large enough as to where AI might be able to take us, that there's still a wealth of opportunity that is out there, even beyond the larger scale conversations that are happening right now. I think that's true, Dan. I think we are in the nascent stages of a complete, it's not even a digital revolution. It's at the level of an industrial revolution, but in the knowledge sector. I think the way that we do business as usual is no longer going to be the case. The way that we work, the way that we uh, do business, where we do business from, I think all of these things will be touched by AI. I think you're absolutely right. And that's why it's so important that we're very mindful right now as we're building and deploying these systems as to what we think is safe, what we will expect, what we will uh, not accept these systems to address or, or be involved in in our lives. But you still have a lot of conversation going on right now uh, kind of in the realm of big data and the importance that it is for so many businesses right now, uh, the touch points uh, that you know are seen beneficial by companies, uh, you know, and the expectation I think is that that will only increase as we move forward and uh, further into the world of AI. And, and so you have to think about all of this in the scope of uh, of how it could potentially impact day to day life of people. Uh, how you make sure that you know you're minimizing bias as much as you possibly can, uh, the privacy issues that are out there as well. I mean, there the it, the conversations I think are to a degree even a little bit short sighted at this point with the potential impact. I, I don't disagree. I think, uh, and, and that's why I don't think this is simple. I I, I don't think that. Uh, as you say, there's not one lens, there's multi-lens, and we need to be mindful of all of them because they are equally important. When we're talking about bias and risks in artificial intelligence, we're talking about everything from scaling past discrimination, where here the perpetuator of the discrimination does not even know that they are discriminating against different people and communities. Sure. Uh, but it's the same 
uh, touch points that can also enable cybersecurity risks and other and other threats. So you're right. It, 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 there's all different kinds of considerations. There's two basic ingredients when we're talking about artificial intelligence, and that's humans who are who are involved in its creation and, and building the algorithms and building the systems, and you have data. And both of those have embedded biases, and both of those need to be addressed and considered each step of the AI lifecycle where there's a human touch point and an opportunity for these risks to embed. But we're also optimistic and we think that each of those touch points is an opportunity to be very careful and address these, these potential risks before they transpire. So the importance of humans to a degree is even greater as we move forward in this area in terms of, as you just laid out, kind of the ethical concerns uh, that are out there, it will be more important for the people that are setting these algorithms in place and they're developing these different programs, you know, to, to, to be kind of the lookout for, for many people as we move forward. I agree, Dan. Humans will continue to play a pivotal role. I don't think this is a nightmare scenario where humans become uh, lack less important in any way. And, and to your point, if anything, they're more important. Uh, you know, most of the studies out there uh, from the World Economic Forum, McKinsey, uh, Aspen, most of them have indicated that we will lose some jobs as we know it, but we will net many, many millions of more jobs and opportunities. Uh, and so it requires us to be thinking of five years ahead, you know, try and use our imagination 10 years from now, 15 years from now, what will the economy look like? What will the workforce look like? What will homes and lives look like? And so that we can make sure that people are being upskilled. You know, it doesn't mean everyone needs to be a computer scientist, but it means we need to think about what does it mean to be an operator in an AI economy? What does it mean to yeah. be a consumer in the AI world? And we need to make sure that we're being much more intentional about preparing our children to participate actively in that future. Miriam, great to have you with us today. Thanks very much for your time. Uh, let's stay in touch because uh, we're we're only very early in this entire process. Yes, I agree. Thanks, Dan. Great talking with you. I'll look forward to talking again. Thank you. Miriam Vogel, who is the CEO of Equal AI. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.